Welcome to the Master Series, your guide to intelligent production, brought to you by Entertainment Partners. I'm your host, Natalie Nelson. In the Master Series, we focus on important issues impacting the entertainment industry and its workers through in-depth discussions with legal, tax, payroll, technology, and production experts. On today's episode, I am joined by a group of six accomplished women who will be sharing their personal stories of navigating through the entertainment industry and how they have come into their own successes. COVID-19 has impacted us all on a global scale, and that includes the entertainment industry. Yet through it all, our guests have continued to produce thoughtful and acclaimed television and film throughout these unprecedented times. First, we are joined by Emmy-nominated producer Blair Briard, president of Barnburner Entertainment, and whose credits include HBO's limited series, Scenes from a Marriage, and The Half of It, written and directed by Alice Wu for Netflix. Also with us is Academy Award-nominated and Emmy-winning producer and director Lisa Cortez. Lisa is founder of Cortez Films, renowned for creating challenging, visionary stories and empowering inclusive voices. She recently co-directed and produced All In, The Fight for Democracy, which chronicles Stacey Abrams' battle against voter suppression. Her additional credits include Precious, The Remix, Hip Hop Times Fashion, and the Emmy Award-winning HBO documentary, The Apollo. She is currently working on the upcoming documentaries, Little Richard and Empire of Ebony. We are also joined by Emmy Award-winning producer Celia Costas. Among her many credits, Celia is known for HBO's Angels in America and The Undoing, as well as A Quiet Place, Girl on the Train, Sophie's Choice, Wall Street, Wall Street 2, Money Never Sleeps, and she is currently executive producing Lin-Manuel Miranda's directorial debut, Tick Tick Boom. Also with us today is Monica Levinson, president of All of Us Productions, whose recent credits include Borat, subsequent movie film, and Netflix's The Trial of the Chicago 7, as well as Wander Darkly and Captain Fantastic. Rounding out our panel is Suzanne Reed, a UK-based producer whose credits include Amazon's The Rig, HBO's The Third Day, and the BBC's Trust Me. And finally, today's moderator is Alexis Alexanian, producer and vice president of business development and industry relations here at Entertainment Partners. Alexis has over 25 years of film and television experience as an independent producer and a production executive. She is the former president, board of directors of New York Women in Film and Television. She is the current treasurer of BAFTA New York, and she is co-founder of Indignant, producer of Sundance hits such as Tadpole, Pieces of April and Personal Velocity. And now, this is the Master Series. Welcome, everyone. About a year ago, exactly a year ago, EP launched the Master Series. It was a way to unite our film and television community, discuss relevant topics related to COVID that affected our industry, share insights on local and international incentive plans and back-to-work plans, provide tools, digital tools, and services to aid our clients as they navigate the new work-from-home mandate. Today, I'm thrilled to be here a year later with these accomplished producers to talk a little bit about their career paths, their influences and mentors, and to get a real snapshot of their most recent experience producing feature films and television through covid To set the scene, even though we heard um, some of your most recent and illustrious credits, I thought we'd get a look at your career path. 
What was your first job in film and television? What were some of the milestones you achieved moving forward? And what inspired you to keep going and get to the role that you currently occupy today? I know that might be a lot, but Celia, let's start with you. Could you give us a little snapshot of your first foray into production and all of the jobs that you did? Not everyone. Oh my, oh my. Hi everybody. Lovely to be here. So uh, right out of college, I <clears throat> worked for a film distributor and a theatrical agent, these two crazy guys um, who actually got me a job as a, as a production assistant on a TV movie. And from there, I it was what I always wanted to do. And I was so happy being a PA, but uh, I eventually became uh, a location manager and a second AD and a assistant unit production manager and a production manager. And now I'm a uh, sort of a hybrid line producer. I'm an executive producer, which um, encompasses a lot of tasks, uh, the least of which is, is being in charge of the budget and the actual <clears throat> logistics of the film itself. And um, I've been very happily doing that for uh, for a long time now. I've worked with some wonderful, wonderful directors who have really been so important to me as influences, as life influences, as well as career influences. And uh, right now, I'm uh, I'm doing Lin Manuel Miranda's uh, directorial debut, Tick Tick Boom, which is an early piece of Jonathan Larson, who wrote Rent and unfortunately did not live to see all the success that Rent had. And um, Lynn uh, often credits uh, Jonathan Larson with showing him that he could maybe make a career in musical theater. <laughs> and uh, so he chose this as his first directing uh, effort. And uh, we had a wonderful time and we did it before and after or through COVID, I should say. Well, I would like to take a deeper dive and to hear a little bit more about how that actually came together. But I thought we'd go around the room uh, a little bit more. And um, uh, we have Lisa Cortez with us today. So, Lisa, um, how about your path? What was your first job in entertainment or, the, or production? And what were your stepping stones? Hi, Alexis. Hi, everyone is tuned in. So excited to be with this esteemed group of ladies. Um, you know, similar to Celia, like right out of college, I start, started working actually in the music business, part of the team at Def Jam and Rush Productions. Um, and one of the important things I learned in that space was the value of voices at that time that were not a part of the mainstream, but really building community and finding mechanisms to uh, promote and advance the artistry uh, uh, of these unique hip hop artists. Um, after a career in music, I actually went back to film school because I knew that a lot of my skills in music, finding talent, developing a package, producing it on, on budget, delivering it to a marketplace, were going to be transferable to working in film. And I went to film school because I wanted to understand what everybody on the set did so that I could have informed conversations 
with them and make certain that we could have productive uh, days. Uh, that led to uh, my working with Lee Daniels for 10 years as his producing partners from Monsters Ball to uh, Precious. And once again, um, this concept of taking stories that um, shed light on marginalized voices and characters and looking for the an empathetic connection and um, you know, kind of giving the, these characters a, a platform. Um, I would say definitely during that time, Precious was certainly a milestone. And one of the joys of that project was touring with it all over the world and meeting people who looked nothing like our lead character, whether it was in Croatia or in uh, Northern California, who identified though with her journey. And it really spoke to the importance of why uh, I love this medium, uh, the ability to uh, create community on an even larger level and to um, humanize um, the experiences of people who look different from us. It's amazing. And your and your role now, Lisa, you're directing too, aren't you? You're producing yes. and directing. Yeah, That's yeah, great. yeah. Well, Excited. We'd like to hear a little bit more about that in a minute. It's great. Um, Suzanne, how about you? We're, we're, we're playing we're playing Hollywood Squares here. We're just going to go around. Uh, <laughs> Hi, everyone. Suzanne, welcome. Welcome to, to, to uh, you know, EP and joining us from, um, I hope it's sunny Scotland. It mm -hmm. is actually sunny for once. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yes, it is. Uh, there's more sun on the East Coast, which is where I am just now. I'm in Edinburgh. Um, so we get a lot more sun on the East Coast than the West Coast, which tends to be a bit wet and rainy. So, yeah, so it's fantastic to, to be here. So I started my career, um, you know, I trained to be an actress, but very quickly realized that wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, and managed to convince Channel 4, which is a UK broadcaster, to give me a job as a secretary, um, which was fantastic. And it was a, I loved working at Channel 4. They're such an, an amazing company to work for in that time. And I very quickly moved through the ranks to be a production manager, looking after sponsorship and sponsorship idents, promotions, you know, all of that sort of filming, um, you know, which which was great. You know, it was, uh, you know, a great time all those years ago. Um, I left there um, to go and be head of production at a commercial production company in Scotland, which brought me home uh, because I was living in London at that point. So it was nice to come home and be head of production and shooting commercial, you know, big uh, commercials shooting all around the world so I got a lot of experience um, of filming in many different countries which was was fantastic um, but I decided I always had a love of feature films and that was something I you know, sort of always really wanted to do obviously having trained as an actress and my aspirations as an actress was to be in feature films so you know uh, having given up on that dream I really wanted to work in feature films so I left that commercial company um, to uh, be a production manager in features and loved that work, loved production managing, um, mm. and was lucky enough through my career as the production manager moving on to line producing to work with some of you know the most cr critically acclaimed directors, um, you know, and some amazing films. And I sort of fell into working in television as the you know sort of as we call it in the UK high end television uh, sort of boom. Um, 
<laughs> and, uh, you know, sort of, I would say for the last six or seven years, it's been mostly uh, high end television that I've worked in, um, you know, and some of the uh, credits that you've mentioned, um, you know, Curfew, The Third Day, um, uh, and currently working on The Rig, which is an Amazon project for uh, with World Mercury. Great. Thank you. And Ms. Monica Levinson, tell us a little bit about your your path to success. Well, I'm glad to be here. Thanks, Alexis. Um, so I started actually out of college working in TV news on Capitol Hill. Um, but if you ask Celia Costas, she found me in high school and um, put me on my first movie, which was Pelican Brief. And um, but I, I started on, you know, in the production office, working my way up. Uh, luckily, I had Celia as a mentor to bring me along that road and um, pretty Pretty soon thereafter, a couple of years in, she said, you need to go. You need to move on. You need to fly free. I wouldn't leave. Um, I stayed for a, a few more years. But uh, one of the movies, actually, one of those things, I interpreted that and I moved to L.A. Uh, to sort of get away. Uh, not to get away, but to actually try to move forward like she advised. Um, but she brought me back to New York on Zoolander. And on that movie, she gave me the opportunity to say, she said, um, you can either be the production manager or you can go on to these other units and be more creative and be in these, you know, deal with this behemoth uh, issue that we had, which was to make all this content without any money. Uh, so, and it was like the VH1 Fashion Awards and uh, the Mail Model of the Year packages and all that stuff. So it really put me into a place where I could be more creative and I loved it. And that sort of set me on a path uh, to be a hybrid as well, uh, because I was I was good at being a line producer. I was good at you know managing the budget, but I also really had the interest in being more creative as well. Um, and uh, you know that led me to Sasha Baron Cohen um, after a couple of years, and I did uh, Borat and Bruno the first two, and then um, right after that, I actually met a couple of years after I met an independent financier named Shivani Rawit and. And uh, she brought me into her company called Shiphouse Pictures. And then I became a person who was able to develop and produce content with her and did that for six years and then got, you know, drawn back to the world of Borat, uh, you know, over the past two years. So that's Fantastic. it. We thought as well, uh, we had to pivot our storyline during COVID uh, because we were documentary style. So we actually started in uh, without COVID in our, in our storyline and then obviously made the pivot to include it when we had to, to go back out and shoot. Very interesting. And we're going to take a deep dive into that in a minute too. Um, we have Blair Briard with us, who is um, live from Louisiana. And uh, we'd love to hear a little bit about your path, Blair. And then if you would touch on the fact that you were um, very integral in the New York women's uh, task force. I'm sorry, I can't get that acronym straight. NYPSCRA, New York. Producers COVID Response Alliance. Yes, it is very serious yes. and I didn't mean to make fun, but tell us, Blair, a little bit about your path and then um, the production alliance. So I started as an unpaid intern on a John Sales movie. In Louisiana, ironically, which was not a place I wanted to be, I've been living in New York for a long time. But I went and worked as an unpaid intern uh, for on Passion Fish, 
And I didn't, and it was a great experience because I figured out what everybody does and what everybody's function was. Um, and then I came back to New York and worked on another film as a, I don't know, a, a documentary feature uh, as a sort of field producer coordinator. And then I got hired as a production manager on a feature in Vermont, like a million dollar film with a period piece with um, stunts and special effects and obviously no money. But then I just kept working. And so I sort of, that was kind of a weird short period. And I just, you know, I kept getting offered jobs and I kept um, saying yes. And I came up in the independent film world in New York where you really just had a couple million bucks to get it done. And that was very interesting and it was a really fertile time. And I worked my way up from uh, production manager to line producer. Um, and a pivotal moment was the first time I got a UPM job, which was um, a woman named Pamela Koffler who offered me a job. I was a coordinator and she said, I want you to be the UPM on, uh, I shot Andy Warhol. And okay. I said, I've never done it before. And she said, I'm going to help you. I'm going to put you up and, and, um, and, and help you figure it out, which she did, which was a real turning point. Um, then I was the line producer on Pootie Tang, which was a movie that Louis <laughs> K wrote and directed and Chris Rock produced sort of with me. And that was a pivotal point um, because then many years later, after line producing feature after feature after feature and sort of bigger and bigger projects, I Louis asked me to be his creative producing partner on the series, Louis. Um, and I said, well, sure, why not? <laughs> it's a, that was a new step into creative producing, but it felt very natural, I think, for a lot of us line producers we have one foot in the creative and one foot in the physical. And mm -hmm. with a show like that, with such limited uh, budgets, you really had to be creative about how you're spending the money. And then I moved into being a creative producer, which I've been for about the last 12 or 13 years. But I feel also very much like some of my colleagues here that uh, I'm a real hybrid. And I... Um, you know, I have an eye on the creative and I have an eye on the physical and having come up through physical production, I understand how it works and how, what our limitations are, but how we need to serve the story and within the, the means that we've been given. So I, I think sometimes I feel like an old fashioned producer who back in the time before there were line producers, there were just... <laughs> And they knew scripts and, and stories and budgets and, and the sort of the whole thing. So maybe that's a new thing that's emerging. The, so, old, the old school, the old school producer. Exactly. Exactly. Able to wear many hats and balance the responsibility yeah. of fiscal, creative, deal with personalities. It's, yeah. uh, it's amazing. I mean, all of you, uh, you know, are so skilled and you've spent a lot of time honing these skills. Um, you had to be, uh, you and Celia and many others had to be really creative and, and think outside the box when you put together the task force. Could you give us a, a little uh, snapshot of how that came together and then how you sort of developed the, what ended up being the kind of backbone to the AMPTP guidelines? Okay. Um, yeah, so I think Celia and I, um, and of sort of maybe five other people got together yeah. April of last year and just uh -huh. said, 
we have to get in front of this because we don't want to give anybody out there another reason to say no to New York. It's always, oh, there's not enough stage space. The unions are too expensive. The meal penalties are too high, whatever it is. And we just said, we, we can't give anybody another reason to say no. So we started creating a set of safety protocols amongst ourselves as New York producers on the ground. Like we've worked Mm -hmm. through September 11th. We've worked Mm -hmm. through Hurricane Sandy. We've worked so many challenging situations that I think we were just like, we've got to, we've got to get in front of it now. We created a set of safety protocols. We expanded the group. There are about 44 of us in it. Um, Amazing. We shared our work with all the unions and guilds and studio executives and people we had relationships with. It sort of got backdoored into the AMPTP, the MPA. Mm-hmm. And then when the white paper came out, the um, they thanked our group, the New York Producers COVID Response Alliance in it. Mm-hmm. It took a lot from us, which is sort of what we wanted, right, Celia? We really wanted exactly. to follow our footsteps. Yeah, we didn't necessarily want any glory. We no. wanted them to go for the right and accurate uh, conditions. We wanted to really advise them on the protocols that were possible to ask for. And, you know, so we wanted our advice to be implemented. And it was. So how does that how do you translate all of that intel and what's on a piece of paper to your reality? So Celia, tell us a little bit about the stop, the start, the stop, the start, and well, during yeah, COVID. I, I mean, uh, we stopped like everybody else did on, you know, I think it was Friday the 13th, March 13th. <laughs> and and uh, you know, we all thought we were gonna be back in two weeks. And uh, of course we weren't. And when it became clear that everything was gonna shut down, when Broadway shut down, it was like, oh, we're okay. Um, that's when towards the end of March, beginning of April, when Blair and Abel Taylor and uh, Mary Jo and Amy Herman and Amy Kaufman, and, you know, there were probably 10 of us who did the heavy lifting at the beginning. And then we got all these other wonderful people to come on and uh, Joe Guest to support um, our idea, which was to uh, basically approach every union, every studio, the AMPTP, the MPAA, the governor, the city, and just put our, uh, you know, the ability to use us and ask us for advice and run things by us at their disposal. Um, and we really worked the room. I mean, Blair can tell you, we were on like five or six Zoom calls a day. And uh, and it really was terrific because, you know, most of us were all alone during the pandemic and it was my activity. And I was so grateful that when we got close to being able to open up again, I knew so much. I was so, you know, fluent in COVIDs that um, I really... I, I felt I could function uh, pretty efficiently within the the subject. And um, we um, came back uh, uh, in August, actually. And um, mid-August, we started at Steiner, finishing some of the, the, the sets that um, had begin, begun to be built uh, last March, but hadn't been finished. So we started with very few 
carpenters and grips and we built from there and we used them as you know sort of a test case to see how well they would would they wear their masks would they distance would they and at the same time we built our um little COVID community we got a fabulous uh supervisor from chile a nurse practitioner who had done every you know she had been in SARS. She had been in, um, you know, just natural disasters. Yeah, yeah, natural disasters. And not only that, she was wonderful and very friendly and very effusive. So she, everybody loved her. And that was helpful because she was able to really, they listened to her. And we ended up building a department of, you know, close to 50 people. Um, we had a DGA unit production manager, a DGA director, assistant director. We had lots of really professional people figuring out how do you organize the stage space? We all have to socially distance. Well, how do you tape it out? So one department is here, the next department is here, but you know, and how do you keep all the people who don't actually physically have to be on the stage during photography how close can you keep them and when can you let them in? I mean, it was a logistical challenge and we had some wonderful people figuring that out. So the the truth is I had so much help, you know, I mean, we all did it together and, um, and we, uh, you know, it was very successful. It, when we started filming again, which was early October, and we shot until the beginning of December. Um, I think we had a total of 51 days, uh, additional days because of COVID, and um, additional everything because of COVID. You know, as uh, we all know, some locations you could use, some you couldn't if there was not enough uh, space and distance so that you could all, you know, exist uh, in that location. You had to find something else. And we adopted a um, very um, worst case scenario um, attitude. We were going to do everything to the nth degree. We weren't oh. going to spare any precaution because then we would know that we did everything we could at, at least. So we really didn't let that up until the very end. And um, I mean, as I said yesterday, we looked like we were going to deliver babies. We had masks, we had goggles, we had face shields, we had little blue dresses on. We had, you know, uh, it Monica. was really, yeah. It oh, was really I, was, I was just going to say it was such a nice yeah. thing because the film community yeah. all came together. Yeah. We, I, I had a group that I was speaking to, this Women's Production Society. Every executive across town was, you know, joining, putting our brains together to figure it out. Everybody was sharing information. I was speaking to Johns Hopkins. They were making time for us, you know, to oh, get us yeah. on the road and, you know, talking to Celia all the time. We were sharing information between groups and it was just an amazing experience to be able to everybody sort of hands on deck and everybody wanted to help each other and share information to get everybody back out and back out safely. I think that was the key point for all of us to go back out safely and to make sure that we didn't put something out there that became a super spreader because then that would delay the whole film industry and put us back. And so we all were really cognizant of that as we went out. And that's what's great is that the film business was not a super spreader, you know, as we as we all embarked on production again. 
So once again, a testament to your, you know, creativity, your, your um, uh, flexibility, the camaraderie, right? And that mm-hmm. desire, that, that passion to just get, get the job done. Um, I imagine also for all of you that there was an Im- immense burden of, uh, you know, additional worry, right? Mm-hmm. That, that aside from the things that you normally worry about, safety yeah. and security, which we mm-hmm. all as producers worry about, that now it's just uh, got a much more uh, epic proportions, I guess. Um, Blair, I'm sorry, Blair, were you going to add well, in something? I was going to say that. Also, that that that's exactly true. There was a burden of responsibility. I think we all knew that we had to do it right and that our community had been out of work for so long, the same mm-hmm. as many other industries. But I felt an enormous responsibility to not only get people back to work, but to keep them working. So it wasn't just starting, it was make, making sure that we created an environment that we didn't, where we didn't get shut down so that people can continue to get a paycheck every week. Sustainable. Sustainable. Yeah, felt that and easy. replicable. Yeah. And also people are afraid. People were nervous and scared mm-hmm. for their mm-hmm. health, for their family's health, for other people in their lives' health. And I felt their worry and their... Um, fears. So I feel like as the producer, you know, they're on the set all day, every day, it was part of my job was to impart the knowledge that we learned in our Uh groups where we were sharing all that information and to alleviate people's fears and to make it very, very clear that Uh everything we did, every step we took was not only to protect people physically, but also to ensure that people were being able to work and earn Uh a living because that was amazing. And that was so important, actually, you know, that, uh, I mean, you have a safety meeting every morning, but we would have safety meetings where the assistant director would go over the day's work and Ramona, the uh, COVID coordinator, I, I don't even remember what we called her, but then she would speak, I would speak. Julio, the, you know, lead producer, we would all talk about where we are were, what we had found out. Was there anything new that we heard on the street about, you know, just really keeping everybody informed and part of the solution, you know, and I think everybody, I mean, Mike, proactive and my crew was exemplary in terms of being grown-ups and following the rules and accepting whatever we asked them to do, which was a lot. You know, sometimes we had a, a period of the film where we worked with actors who were, you know, over 75. We worked with Joe Gray. We worked with, you know, Singing a bunch and dancing. of Broadway people. And, Singing um, and dancing, which they, you know. Well, singing yeah, was they were singing. And, uh, but anyway, uh, we, we put the the crew in a hotel for a period of seven days preceding that just to make sure that they were <laughs> pure as driven snow. I mean, we got right. them their meals, we were, you know, it was quite the operation, but um, it all worked out. It's, it's, it's remarkable. Um, Lisa, tell us a little bit about what 2020 was like for you, you know, being responsible for a film that has had such a great impact and, you know, somewhat uh, prescient and somewhat uh, foreshadowing of uh, current events and political events. What 
what were you shooting in 2020 or, or how did COVID impact your schedule on All In? So in the first week of March, we were in Atlanta, uh, luckily completing our last round of interviews for, for All In. Uh, we came back to New York and at the end of the week, a decision was made to close the physical office and pivot to remote working. And remote for us meant global. Our editor was based in Lisbon, our animator in Warsaw, our illustrator in Berlin, our AEs in New York and Atlanta, um, you know, uh, Brooklyn, Harlem, you know, I think uh, there's not many places we didn't have um, someone who was involved in pulling all the incredible elements together for the film. And um, I think in a strange way, because uh, we had an important milestone to reach, which was to finish and deliver the film so that it could be out in September in conversation with uh, the general election, providing factual information, and also working in tandem with a uh, social impact campaign that involved everything from pop-up screenings and registrations to outreach and support of community organizations with boots on the ground. You know, I was thinking earlier about yesterday's conversation about how there's lots of different producers. And I think what I admire about all of us is we are, I would say we have, we've got our boots on, <laughs> we're, we're walking through it. And then we take our boots off and, and we smell good. Um, but, you know, managing art, commerce, and, but in, you know, what last year presented was this concept of managing uh, milestones and safety um, and uh, thinking very differently about how you finish a film under these conditions, how you look out for the welfare of your team and how you lean into technology to do that. I'll never forget the day my color calibrated iPad arrived for color correction, <laughs> special headphones so that we could do the mix. Um, lots of uh, scenes and moments shared via frame IO, um, you know, and these were all these factors that we luckily were able to, to lean into. Um, you know, after finishing All In, I started directing my Empire of Ebony documentary and we actually held off on uh, doing our interviews, one out of consideration for a lot of our participants who are older, and two, because we wanted to make certain that we could create a smaller footprint um, that wouldn't compromise my creative vision yet at the same time, but safety first. Amazing. Um, and so Suzanne, across the pond, um, life in England, Scotland, the UK in general was a little bit of foreshadowing for all of us. So what was, uh, what was your experience in 2020? So 2020 was, um, you know, it, it was a, it's been a funny old year. I mean, when I, in March last year, I was actually in Abu Dhabi uh, on an HBO production and I had arrived to organize uh, scouting, make sure, you know, that everything was organized before our exec producers arrived. And, you know, I'd been there for two days uh, when I got the phone call uh, from the, uh, from HBO basically saying, uh, we're not coming. 
Um, you know, we're not uh, we're not going to be traveling internationally because uh, of you know what is now the pandemic. Um, none of us knew that it was going to be a pandemic at that point. And of course, that, my response was, you know, oh, that's really interesting because there's only two cases in Abu Dhabi. You know, so it's safe. But of course, now we know, you know, then it just seemed really excessive you know, to actually pull, you know, the, the travel because of it. But obviously people, there was people at HBO who knew more than I did. Um, so I was basically told to uh, book a flight and fly home, which I did. And then obviously as the, this was the beginning of March and then as March went on, you know, we realised that this was uh, very, very serious uh, indeed. And I was really fearful for our industry, you know, and how we, you know, how can we do what we do, um, you know, if we can't, uh, be close to each other you know when we can't wear masks and eye protection and things like that but uh, fortunately um, the British Film Commission and BFI moved very quickly to pull together um, you know a whole list of uh, you know sort of uh, protocols that we could work to um, and testing and you know it, you know they did move really fast you know so by you know, July, uh, we, you know, the, and there were productions that did uh, continue, um, but by July productions were able to slowly get back up and running. And it was in July that um, I got the call. Uh, I'd worked on The Third Day, which was a um, six-part drama for HBO and Sky um, the previous year. And there was a live event that was part of that 12-hour live broadcast that was going to be part of uh, the whole um, drama. Uh, but it had been cancelled because of the pandemic. Mm. So I got the call in July to say, we're going, we're going in October. Um, you know, please, will you come and help us make that work? And, you know, I thought, well, absolutely, because it's amazing to get back to work. Um, and in our favour was the whole thing was taking place on an island off the coast of Essex, which is near London. <laughs> so knowing... And I'd filmed on the island, so I knew how difficult it was to get there. So, um, you know, so a whole load of uh, protocols put in place, testing regimes, um, people self-isolating, um, you know, themselves before they arrived on the island, you know, but, it, you know, and everybody wearing masks and being safe, uh, you know, which, you know, so it was fantastic to be able to do that. But it wasn't without its problems, as you know, we'll, we've, we've all had that experience. We were learning. You know, we were learning how to do it properly. And of course, you know, the worst with the testing regimes, you know, the, the worst call you get is when you have a positive test. And, mm. you know, and for me, when we we were lucky that we got four positive tests, but they were all uh, false positives. So we were incredibly mm -hmm. lucky. We stayed calm. We immediately retested. They came back. Um, you know, as negative. So we were able to continue after a few hours, uh, you know, being lost. But, you know, it was, um, you know, it was, it, I think that was the one thing that I learned through that, uh, you know, whole experience is, you know, that when it is, when you do get that positive is just to stay calm. Mental health of all of the crew, when we got that positive test, mm -hmm. my, my main concern was mental health. We had 300 people on the island and everybody wow. immediately, you're on an island, um, you know, we were all socially distancing, we were all wearing our masks, but we all immediately went to that place of, oh, I think I sat down at that table to have my lunch and I didn't wipe it clean. You know, mm -hmm. there was the mental health of the people and the crew had to come first, but we were very lucky that uh, they were false positives. 
and we were able to continue and create something which was amazing and groundbreaking. Mm -hmm. Wow, wow. And and Monica, you two were out and about shooting in 2020, and you mentioned having to pivot the creative aspect of the film to be COVID compliant or to elevate the the issues of the day. Give us a little sense of of what the Borat experience was. So we also, we had just come back from CPAC and uh, we had filmed that sequence where he runs in uh, as Trump uh, into Michael's speech and we were all excited. We all knew what our path was forward and we had these story points to get to and we got shut down. So as everybody did. Um, so yeah, March 12th, March 13th, we, you know, got out of the offices. Luckily our post supervisor and I spoke and we said, let's just clear the office. And we were able to at least get all of the editors and all of the everything home so we could keep moving. Um, and we also had the time, you know, the ticking clock of the election. That was really important to us. When we started the process, we always, it came about during midterms and it was, let's get this out before the election. So we, um, you know, every day Sasha would call me and say, oh, we have to go now. We have to go now. I'm like, we can't go now. You know, we have to figure this out. And, um, you know, and he knew he had been speaking to the same people at Hopkins who he introduced me to. And he just said, it's going to get so much worse before it gets better. We're looking at a year of this. Like, this is not, we're never going to be able to finish this movie. So when I realized what our um, window was, you know, in terms of how to finish the movie, you know, I just kept thinking, okay, well, summer, it's going to get better. I was like, although I knew I was supposed to be listening to the science, I was also listening to the administration. I was like, yeah. summer, it's going to be miraculous. Uh, <laughs> and somehow in the back of my mind, I was wishful thinking, you know, that somehow. <laughs> so I think it was May 15th, I called Sasha and I said, if we don't start by June 15th, we're never going to make it because we have so much to do. So we had a lot of conversations about how to pivot the storyline and how to put COVID in. So if people are masked and we can be safe, you know, for the second half, we could hit those story points. And the writers came up with, you know, everybody's worst nightmare, which is quarantining with Borat. And uh, <laughs> that was like the thing that set us on our path, you know, I mean, just, like that was brilliant. And um, we were able to do that. And we were keeping tabs on Romania because we had to go do our last piece of it, which was the Kazakhstan piece. Um, so June 15th, we were definitely, we went out on June 10th. We had positive pace cases. We were shut down. They were not false positives, but nobody got sick, luckily, because of whatever viral load that they were exposed to because of the protocols. Nobody got sick from being on set together. And um, we kept going, got through that rally, got to New York, did, worked with the, you know, did the Giuliani scene. He was the only guest that would not test. Um, <laughs> Test and Maria said, "I am going to take the chance." Uh, to her credit, and said, "I will, I will move forward with it." And we got to Romania just before they shut the borders, um, and they let us in. And they there, we actually had a day where we had fifty people come back positive. So that was a false. I just said, "Okay, um, can't be true." Uh, but it was just a, you know, it was constant problems, constant delays, constant money. I mean, it was a million dollars to our budget. That's not delays. Those are just the costs of having COVID, COVID compliance people, doctors, everybody on staff. And um, when we got to Romania, we, we filmed a bunch. And then one day, 
two of the actors, the kid, the people that play the kids, um, his sons, they were all filming in that house for three hours. And the next morning we find out that the test results hadn't come back and they were wrong. And the two guys were actually positive. And so Sasha had been in that room, in the small room, along with our sound people, not many people were in there. It was just our camera operators and Sasha. And we, you know, I, I, I spoke to Sasha and I said, you guys have to come home. Like I can't in good conscience leave you in Romania to deal with their health system. If something happens, like we have to go home, we'll have to figure out how to green screen the rest of it, do something. So we shot plates. They flew home. We got them in hazmat suits, got them a private plane to fly home. And, um, they had to go into quarantine for two weeks and we had, uh, and we were testing throughout that. And then as soon as the two weeks were up, he was able to come out and we put them on a green screen and did the rest of Kazakhstan on with plates. Uh, so it was wow. a pretty massive effort to get the movie done. And then we also were on many continents, you know, I was screening, zooming into screening rooms in New Zealand so we could see the group experience of comedy. We were, you know, to see where, you know, what was working, what wasn't, we were scoring and, uh, a Romanian gypsy band was in Romania, another group in Vienna. We were in the UK editing. We were, you know, just everywhere. And um, yeah, anyway, pretty we finished some phenomenal. Time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, it's I really think amazing. That, that hearing your story, Monica, I'm thinking of, you know, this last year was a year of magical creative thinking. And the mm -hmm. keywords that come to mind is, is pivot and, and pajamas. Totally. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to pivot. I'm going to get great pajamas and I'm going to stay inside all the time. And nobody will know for the better when I'm on a Zoom. Exactly. Necessity is the mother of invention became my favorite saying, you know, and it was like, all right, we got to go. It's amazing what you can do from a laptop, right? Mm -hmm. um, and Blair, you too, you got back in action. Um, pretty early on, you know, Monica touched on the cost. I know that a lot of people listening are concerned about the cost for independence, for studio and streamer features, but what are, what are we looking at in terms of COVID related budget increases? Is there, a, is there a way to, well, I think you know, that you don't quantify that in the beginning. I don't think any of us <clears throat> had any idea how much it was going to cost. So we started with something like 20% of our budget put wow. aside you know, wow. as a sort of COVID contingency. But then we started <clears throat> um, itemizing all the costs and, and, and it came down, but it was still a lot. It was a significant amount. And, um, but at the end of the day, we only spent half of what we budgeted. Um, mm. And I think every, every show is different. So we were primarily on the stage, uh, 41 shoot days, only five days out on location. Um, and primarily two actors. So we determined early on who needs to get tested every day. We had uh, actors, AD, DP, um, script supervisor, and maybe like two other people tested six days a week. Wow. Who was tested three days a week? But if I had, so there was only about eight people, six or eight people tested six days a week everybody else three days a week and then sort of zone B people uh, twice a week, actually. So, you know, if that was a bigger group of people that we needed to test six days a week, it would have been a lot more expensive, but I had a very small cast. So I think those are, 
you know, those are all interesting sort of pieces of how you do, how you figure out your COVID mm -hmm. if you're stage and location-based or if you're primarily location-based or if you're primarily stage-based. Those all affect costs. We had a COVID team of about 12 people, a physician's assistant, um, a location manager who was a second AD, and then sort of branching out from there. Um, and... And it was interesting at the end to sort of assess, like, what did we really need? What did we think we need? What was a real need? What was an emotional, psychological need? Um, interesting. Yeah. So many it, layers, right? So many layers, layers of, uh, uh, of how yeah. to operate. And not yeah. to mention insurance, insurance implications. And I know um, that that's uh, an evolutionary sort of process right now, but uh, a worry and a concern, especially for the independents. It's a big concern for the independents. I've been budgeting a couple of independent films and it's really, and you have to assume that you're not going to get any insurance for it. It's one thing to work for HBO or Netflix or Amazon where they're basically providing their own insurance, okay. but for the independents, I'm, it's, it's concerning. Because it's a, I feel, a huge amount to the budget, and and I feel like we need this needs to be a series. Like we need to do the evolutionary series of producing through COVID, because you you have all illustrated such amazing um, uh, experiences, and there's so many questions. And I thought before we go to some, we have a ton of questions from our audience, and we'll try to get to a couple of those. I think it's just important for to take a minute and as diversity, equity, and inclusion are on the top of everyone's mind. And although many of us here have been living in that space in a variety of ways, it's touched our lives and our careers and we've, you know, uh, made efforts to, to you know, uh, change things. I just wondered quickly, like any quick observations of where we are today, what's working and, um, Perhaps what, you know, leave us with a, a little sentiment of what we need to do and focus on to make things better moving forward. I'll go with you, Lisa, because I think you have to uh, leave us in a few minutes. Uh, I think one of the, the positives in this time has been access. You know, I, I find that as a New York-based director-producer, I'm able to connect with a lot of people in the West Coast in a more expedient fashion who are decision makers. Um, there is a greater sensitivity to who tells the story and a respect of uh, perspective. Um, but I would be a Pollyanna to say that, you know, we have learned collectively uh, since uh, last summer and there is still much more work to be done there is still more interrogation of our own internal racisms um, that we need to work through because ultimately it does have a waterfall effect on um, who our team is and who we give opportunities to. Wow. I hear you. Um, Suzanne, how, how about from your perspective um, working you know, I, in the UK? I, you know, I think it's, um, you know, from a you know, diversity perspective, you know, especially in Scotland, we need to keep pushing, you know, for, for that. You know, it, it's something that we need to continue to, to push for and, and, you know, making sure women are included, you know, and, you know, having, you know, we're very lucky, you know, we have um, the British Film Institute have a, a guidance and BAFTA have a guidance of a 50-50 gender split on every production. 
and you know and pushing for that you know and what I have noticed as well is um you know we don't get as much pushback when we suggest female candidates for certain roles mm. you know so people are you know um I don't know if open-minded is the word but you know they're more you know willing to be inclusive and 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 help to push women and you know um into the right places so you know I think it's it's definitely becoming more positive as we move forward Celia you've been doing this for quite a long time mm -hmm. and um risen to great stature and accomplishment and awards and no it's true it's to be admired of what what's changed and and, and what needs to be done yeah, I mean, so much. I, when I first started, really, there were a handful of women. Uh, there was the script supervisor, makeup and hair, me, you know, <laughs> maybe maybe a few others. That was it. And um, so it, it has changed. But I think most recently uh, in the last year, um, there is, I see much more of a determination because the thing is, you just have to do it. You have to do it. You have to decide to do it and you have to put it in effect. And I hesitate to use the word legislate, but someone on the producing front has to make sure that we hire you know, a certain number of people and make sure that, I mean, even if we're taking a chance, we have to make the effort. And that's where we have fallen short before. Mm -hmm. Everybody has just flapped their jaw about uh, uh, diversity and about, you know, women's equality and about everybody's equality. Now you just have to push ahead and actually put it into effect. And the more we put it into effect, the more it will work and the better we'll feel about it and it will start to be the norm. But that's a little ways off. But mm. I, feel, I feel in the last year, sorry, Monica, that I mm. finally am getting support from, you know, the overlords when I say I want to hire this person, but their resume doesn't have quite the experience. And I say, well, OK, but we have to start somewhere and I'm willing to take the hit. I will take the hit. I want to give this yeah. person a hand up. These are, I'm really talking a lot. And especially on, on scenes from a marriage, I hired a lot of women and women of color who had, you could see if you compare resumes, you know, they didn't have all the experience and you know why they didn't have as much experience. So mm -hmm. I just said, I want to just take the chance. Let me take the chance. What's the worst thing that can happen mm -hmm. or work for me. Okay. Too bad. I'll take the hit. I'll do the work because it's not going to happen, you know, unless we do it. And, 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 and I have gotten support from above, which is, that is what is starting to change. Mm -hmm. And when I go and say, this is the person I want to hire. And someone says, they don't have as much experience. I go, well, let's, we have to make the change. Let's do it anyway. You're willing to own it and, and, um, you know, talk, walk the walk, Monica. Yeah. I would have to echo, you know, that lack of opportunity is not equating to lack of talent and hustle and all of the things that got us to this place. We owe it to be of service to this community mm -hmm. to because that's only going to make the stories and the overall experience richer for everyone in mm -hmm. making it and um, and, and for audiences. 
And I was just going to say that I, I also produced another film that came out this year or last year called Wander Darkly. And our director, when she went through her hiring process, she said, I'm hiring potential over resume. I'm hiring, you know, what the over experience, all of it, ability over experience, because we can't hire off of resume if we want to take chances on people. And it's, you know, we have to work towards that. And even with that, even with this very concerted effort, we were um, 50-50 in our gender parody. Uh, but, you know, it was, it, and that was a very female heavy production um, in every way. So, but yeah, the, her saying that really rang true to me. And it was great because we were able to uh, move forward with that as our guiding star. Amazing. Another you know, thing came out of our, sorry, just briefly out of our New York producers COVID response group was a diversity group because we were really experiencing the sense of community in New York and, and trying to solve the COVID problem. Then all the Black Lives Matters protests started happening and we said, we have to do better and we can't wait for the studios and executives and unions mm -hmm. to do it. We have to do it ourselves. And we yes. formed a, a group, which is now called the, it's NIFTI, which is the um, acronym, but it's New York Film and Television Diversity Initiative. And mm -hmm. we have been really making strides in uh, creating a database and mentorships and all kinds of opportunities and open the doors. But that came out. That was another positive thing that came out. Yeah. Of the yeah. And um, something that most people don't know, but everybody listening should know this and EP should know this. Um, I was part of the negotiating committee for the low budget agreement, theatrical agreement of the IATSE. And when we went in there, the main thing that I was gunning for was a diversity clause. And what they did was they put it into the contract, which is that each production, if somebody comes from a training program, you are allowed to hire one person that will get into the union per production. You just have to talk to the to whatever union, whether it's grips or electric, whatever it is, and you can put them, you can get them the job. So it's in there. And if anybody, I, I'll make sure that Alexis has the information or Natalie, so you know exactly what the clause is, because it's kind of, it's not written there as an inclusion clause, but that's exactly what it's meant for. Amazing. Action, action, action. And I'm sorry to kind of wind this down because the conversation is so stimulating and you all have so many amazing stories to, to and insights to share. But there are a few questions. So if you can bear with us, we'll go to Natalie and um, see if there are any questions that she'll just pose to the group and you can feel free to answer. Sure. Yes, thank you. We did get quite a, a good number of questions, and thankfully we've touched on a lot of them throughout the conversation. Uh, but I wanted to pose this question to each of you um, and, and just round it out with one question, and we'll post answers to everything else on, on our community following this webinar. Uh, but this one really struck me. It is, what has made you keep going in the face of adversity, and how have you trained your mind to keep looking ahead and working harder? I'll just start with that. I just love what I do. So I keep going. Yeah. You know, we, yeah. I love making content. I love um, putting things out there in the world and I love doing the work. So yeah. that keeps me going, even when it's tough, even when I'm not treated the way that I might want to be treated at times, you know, coming up in my career, not with Celia. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so you just keep going because we love it. You know, we like, yeah. and, and I yeah. feel like I'm pretty good at it. 
and, and it, it's such a, uh, a challenge, and we are all always up for a challenge, basically. <laughs> you live for that. And so you just, it's a challenge, and you get behind it. And what I realized, and I'm so grateful to be in this business, because what I have realized is that you can really get around all kinds of laws and regulations and things that would give, you know, I think people in other industries some hesitancy. And we have to learn how to follow the law, but also find a way so that we are within the law, but we get what we need to get as well. And the film business has taught me so much in that regard. And I just, uh, you know, once uh, I got a little used to the COVID of it all, I was determined. I was just determined that people would be safe. And uh, that was, you know, and we would find out who tested positive by like midnight every night. Oh, my God. And sometimes it was later than that. And I would never sleep. And Every night I was a nervous wreck, but um, we prevailed. I mean, the shooting crew never shut down. We never had one positive case on the shooting crew. We had other people, but not anyone that affected the actual film production. So um, I felt good about that. But um, I was really inspired to try and meet and conquer this challenge also for New York because we all love to work here. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I felt that way too. Like we had to really protect our New York, you know, because we were the epicenter. It started. Yeah. I mean, really, it started. Yeah. Battle, but New York got destroyed. We were shut down, and it was just ambulances, ambulances, ambulances. And I felt a responsibility to our community. And hard is okay. I don't mind hard. Yeah. You just want hard to be worth it. And if you feel like you're part of a community, it's worth the effort for what we do for each other, with each other, and in, mm -hmm. in bringing stories to, to life. Yeah. It, I, I'm I mean, a, a Capricorn. I, I, I love the challenge. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I am always so gratified when I see the end credits um, because I've worked with every single person there. I've learned from them. That team, um, you know, gives me so much energy. And I truly believe in the transformative power of narratives and documentaries, VR, and that a picture mm -hmm. is worth a thousand words. And I've mm -hmm. seen the effect of the stories that I've had the honor to work with and how they have opened up people's minds and hearts to others who look very different from them. And um, that's the change I'm committed to. And that's the work that I want to be in service to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, I can just say that, you know, um, you know, I echo everything that the ladies have said, you know, I love what I do. Um, I'm a problem solver. I'm a firefighter, you know, so it doesn't matter what gets thrown. I, you know, I'm, I'm a planner. I'll make plans. I'll look after everybody. I'll solve all the problems. And when it is really hard and it's been hard through, you know, working through COVID, you know, all I can think at the light at the end of the tunnel when everybody's vaccinated and this goes away, production suddenly will seem so easy. And that's my light at the end of the tunnel. 
That's beautiful. I love it. I feel really, I'm like choked up right now listening to your thoughts. I'm not sure if it's Helen Reddy or it's the theme from Rocky. I don't know what's playing in my head right now. (laughs) Natalie, do we have a a couple of more questions? Time for a couple more questions. Uh, if everyone, can, <laughs> yeah, uh, we, you know, we do have quite a few more questions. So if the panel can stay with us for a few more minutes, uh, I know that we touched on, um, you know, the, the issues of budget. Um, one of the questions that we got was about the obstacles of traveling and of moving around and especially right now and, and how you maintain the focus and keep everyone safe. Well, now that I'm out, um, Filming again, um, I made my footprint smaller and everyone on the team actually enjoys that so much more. Um, and um, yes, we have a COVID compliance manager and on-site rapid testing and lots of PPE, but I, I really enjoyed actually having the leaner footprint. Um, mm-hmm. It just makes everyone and our subjects just feel so much more comfortable. Mm-hmm. I hate to be this person, but I did look at, you know, people's social media to make sure people weren't gathering. I was, you know, really paying attention to things like that because I was concerned, you know, I didn't want to sister. You go on, yeah, you go on location, you know, it's hard, you know, old, old habits die hard. And, and so it was really just trying to make sure that everybody continuing to talk about how it was everybody's responsibility, not just ours, but everybody's responsibility to stay safe. Uh, because one one person goes out of the pod or goes, you know, does something irresponsible and it affects everybody. So um, really trying to put that onto everybody so that we all were paying attention and all, you know, as we traveled. You're really, you're really um, uh, asking everybody to sort of sacrifice their own activities for the greater good, right? Mm-hmm. Sort of like, let's just take it down for the good of the whole. So it's sort of mm-hmm. like the herd mentality in a good way. Like, let's keep mm-hmm. everybody safe by on weekends, you know, sort of not doing the things that we mm-hmm. want to do. Yeah. I mean, we shot, uh, we were going to originally take Thanksgiving off, as most people do. We would stop working sometime on Wednesday and be off and come back to work on the following Monday. And then uh, in discussion with the, uh, several epidemiologists <laughs> that Netflix retains. One of them is Vivek Murphy, who just uh, Murphy, who just became the Surgeon General, was just confirmed wow. the other day. And um, we talked about it and just decided it wasn't worth it to even give people that opportunity. So the compromise was that we would be off on things. Thanksgiving Day, but we would work before and we would work over the weekend. And we were almost finished anyway. But um, so we just took the Thursday off and we worked every other day, which really limited what people could do. But I think it, you know, it also encouraged them not to take a chance and do something that, you know, might have not been so wise. So uh, there are compromises like that. And uh, that's when I I'm thankful that I had such a, you know, such a reasonable and conscientious crew that they agreed to that without uh, too much uh, 
too much. <laughs> too well, much. They, were, they were committed, clearly. And yeah, you know, the they question were also is committed. Everybody was committed to Lynn Manuel, also. See, this is the perfect example. Of if you have a director that, you know, you will follow him anywhere, which is certainly he is worthy of that description because he's a fabulous, he's exactly what you think he is. He's a fabulous human being and he's ridiculously talented and mm. everyone felt that way i mean first of all the entire crew i mean netflix paid us for a, a few weeks but they came back in august and september after waiting till from the end of march you know they came back to a man and um uh so i think that uh that did uh, really help the uh, cause a great deal. People were committed not only to me and to Deb Dyer, you know, but um, to Lynn and uh, to the project itself. And uh, so that's how you keep focus. The question was yeah. interesting about mm -hmm. focus because you have so many things to worry about. So you're committed. You want to get it done. It's um, it's all for the greater good. And you're 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 collaborating, and everybody just wants to work. They want to do the work. That's, that's pretty 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 intense. Thinking that about is. all of that. Thank you. Um, you know, I Alicia, have, oh sorry, Lisa. Lisa. Everyone, unless you were going. Yeah. Thank you, Lisa. We will <laughs> we see you, you again Lisa. very soon. Okay. Take care. Stay well, everyone. Okay. You too. Okay, everyone, we do have a few more questions and I want to take two that we've gotten uh, multiple people writing in about and kind of put them together kind of as a two part question. And this is, do you have any advice for student filmmakers or anyone who is up and coming and wants to get into filmmaking? Um, and the second part of that question is, do you have any advice for finding a mentor? because it can be so impactful to your career, even as we've seen today, the conversation between Monica and Celia, uh, that you know, finding that person that can guide you through your career uh, is, again, monumental. Um, so if you have any thoughts about that, our audience would love to know. Well, I'm actually on the board of Women in Film, and I know that there's a great program there um, for, there's a bunch of different programs there, so you should look into it. Uh, I think New York Women in Film has something similar, so absolutely, absolutely look into that. And then, um, you know, ultimately, you can't ask for a mentor. Um, you know, you have to sort of find your mentor and find that person. I was lucky to have Celia and, and another person named Stuart Kornfeld. And, you know, Stuart was the unlikeliest of mentors, but, you know, I was able yeah. to work with him and, uh, you know, we became, you know, he took a shiny to me and he, you know, was able to give me that helping hand whenever I needed it. So um, I think it's just getting that first job, getting your feet in the foot in the door. Remember that even if you came out of film school, you're a PA when you walk out the door, you know, you're not going to be mm -hmm. directing. Uh, there's going to be one in a million that's going to get that directing gig. So go, don't, don't be prideful, get whatever job you can mm -hmm. and start working. I, I was just going to interject that don't be afraid to skill up. You know, this is a, this is a little plug for um, the e-learning on the production community at EP where, where we have over a dozen classes that give you a certificate in production accounting, production accounting 101, 201, check okay. it out because having those skills are at a premium today because of this proliferation of content creation. So yeah. first job may not be perfect, but you know, try to skill up as you look for that first job. Mm -hmm. 
And you have to become employed in order to find a mentor. So, you know, I say do anything you can. I mean, in including being the, a free intern, an unpaid intern, although we don't really do that Nobody much. Nobody allows anymore. that. Anymore. Yeah. Nobody allows that. So, but if that's your mindset, if that's what you're willing to do, you're willing to do anything and you're willing to get people coffee, you're willing to do absolutely anything that you're asked, start there and somebody will give you a shot. And, uh, and then you, you know, you distinguish yourself from there and work your way up. And all of our jobs still get, we still need to get coffee. We still need oh. to help people. We still need to do that. That is our jobs for life. You know, there's I mean, still so. a PA aspect to everything. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. 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 Or a runner, as they say in the UK. Yeah, runner. Yeah. I think the more you know, and so, so starting out doing anything, the more you know and understand about how the actual machine works, the better. And to not sort of be arrogant about what you're doing because it's all information and it all mm -hmm. helps you see the bigger picture. And I say this all the time, a great way to start is through the accounting department because mm -hmm. we desperately need accountants all the time. <laughs> and if you yeah. go in through the door of accounting, you will always find work. So you will be, and you will hear all the conversations and you will learn about where the money goes and you will hear the producers talking to the accountants and problem solving. And I, I know that all of us on this panel know are even like working for people who were accountants that became mm -hmm. production supervisors, became production managers, became, mm -hmm. producers, became producers, became directors. So the accounting department is a great way in. Point being, do anything you can do. So, mm -hmm. I don't want to say I want to be a PA because I only want to be a director. Do anything that you mm -hmm. can to get a mm -hmm. paid job in the industry because, as Susan, that's how you meet people, which is how mm -hmm. you. I always say yes. that you know you have to do things to figure out what you don't like as much as what you do like. Totally, mm -hmm. totally, correct. Yeah, mm -hmm. Suzanne, you. Yeah, no, I think um, you know it's. Uh, you need to, the, the difficulty is, is networking is really how you, you know, I sort of meet your mentor or get, uh, you know, uh, meet people to get your opportunities in the industry. And obviously networking isn't possible um, just now. But, you know, when when I wanted to work at Channel 4, I decided that I was working, that's where I wanted to work. Um, you know, I just kept kept applying for positions um, and, you know, after I think about a year of them constantly seeing my CV for any job, they just gave me a job, you know, to, you know, so, yeah. and that's how I started. And it was, mm -hmm. you know, being tenacious um, and pushy, but not in a overtly annoying way, you know, being, you know, you know, being nice and gentle to a point, but still pushing forward. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. and, and that's how I got my break. And, you know, I've been very lucky to have the mentors I've had, you know, but as Celia says, it's, you, you need to be, you know, you need to start work to meet those people, to know, uh, to meet your mentor, you know, so it is, it's, um, you know, but just keep pushing, you know, if it's what you want, just keep pushing and you'll get your break. Mm -hmm. And any bit of visibility is visibility. You learn the jargon, you learn who the players are, you learn what their motivations are, where they're coming from. 
So any and all of that is valuable as you move forward. Um, do we have any other questions? Do we have time for one more question? I'll just actually interject that Celia actually, when I first started working, she was like, she doesn't, she doesn't know anything. She's never worked in the film business before. You know? And it was because I was tenacious, because I was nosy. I knew everything that was going on that she paid attention to me, you know, and exactly. it was like, well, exactly. Yeah. Now, she read everything that came across the fax machine. She knew where everybody was. She knew where they had lunch, where they went to the bathroom, where they hung out. And I would call. I never even met Monica. I'd call from New Orleans where we were filming, and I'd say, get me so-and-so. And all of a sudden, that person would be on the line. And I, this was a huge facility in Washington, D.C., where she was. And I'd say, how the hell does it, how does she do that? And, you know, we went from there. But, I mean, she absolutely just distinguished herself and you know the rest is history but that's the way you do it you know I've said this before remember who takes you know equal versus stevia versus sweet and low who takes half and half and you know two percent milk remember things about people and if you get it right they appreciate it people in the film business really appreciate anything that goes right and anything that you do, any kindness that you can perform for them, particularly on the set. Um, I think because they're under so much stress, they're under so they're much under pressure so much and stress, stress that they, you right. know, they're forsaking all of the you know the human side right. of things. So if you can appeal to that in a lower level, yeah. right, and just yeah. be enthusiastic yeah. and kind and there for them when they yeah. when the ball drops. That's, you know, people really appreciate it and they will talk and they will tell other people. And that's usually the way the networking starts. Wonderful. Natalie, are we still are we going for a marathon here? Oh, we're going for a marathon. I'm just going to ask one more question. And this will tie us back to the, the whole reason we're here. It is Women's History Month. We have these exceptional women producers with us. And, and one of the questions that came in is how... Do you see a direct connection between the rise of women in producer roles affecting the rise of female directors, the rise of female crew members? You know, how do you see that you are impacting, you know, women in the industry and helping to elevate them? Well, Celia. I think <laughs> I think that uh, people are finally noticing that, you know, women do a great job. Women work so, <laughs> so hard. hard. I mean, we kill ourselves. We're hard. Absolutely. So we prove to everybody that, you know, not only can we do it, but we can do we can do it better than a lot of other people. And um, that encourages them to, you know, that that, you know, kind of uh, goes out to other areas and uh, encourages people to take that chance. I mean, it has been incredible, really. I think the first uh, well-occupied um, job for a woman um, um, in the film business was production manager and then producer. And, you know, forget all the regular female costumes and makeup and hair, women in positions of power. And, um, you know, that's been like the last 25 years. And now you have women running studios, you have women at the absolute highest levels of performance. And I think that 
they've proven themselves. And, you know, to give Hollywood some credit, you know, people will take a chance. If they think that you can do it, they, you know, they'll give you a shot. And the, if they give one person a shot, it's easier the next time to give the second woman a shot. But I think um, our doing well at what we do and building the careers that we all have, um, you know, speaks well and has in effect encouraged the rest of the world and to I hire have, women. Yeah. And I was just going to say that we, you know, when we're in those positions, we're going to hire people that are like us. Yes. So it's going to encourage people to hire more women as more women make it to the producer yes. level or director level. And on Wander Darkly, for instance, and it's also a safer environment. You know, on Wander Darkly, we had a writer director that was female and four women producers and a, women, a female editor. And we were in post. My producing partner was very pregnant during production um, and she felt safe coming to set and being with all of us and knew that she could go and leave it to us when her feet were swollen or we would figure out how to take care and you know but she was there and then when we came to post you know we had to do our first screenings for the producers cut and or for the you know to have the producers see the movie and she had to pump and we could continue our meeting while she was pumping because we were in a safe place she was in a safe place so I'm not saying that's the norm of women on set, but it was such a nice environment. It was such an odd thing to be able to have this safe environment of all women that she could come and participate and do what she needed to do and not go running and leaving and missing out on the meeting. So it was pretty um, surreal and, and incredibly powerful um, and empowering you know, experience for us. I'd like to get to the point where there are enough women in all positions where it's, you know, 50-50, where women can make mistakes in the same way that men have made mistakes mm -hmm. and still get another chance. Because I <clears throat> feel that we are still held to a higher standard. And I would like us, it's sort of, <laughs> I would like us to be able to also fail occasionally, but still get to fail upwards maybe, or, mm -hmm. you know, give, get another opportunity. And mm -hmm. that's only, I think that's only going to happen when we're really in parity. We have to, and we can stop talking about having to hire women and, and having to really work hard to, to balance out the in, inequity. I don't, I mean, I pumped on a scout van with all men and I said, yeah. Do I'm a mom and I'm working and I'm the boss. And if you can't get off the bus, <laughs> I was pregnant as a production manager and I didn't tell anybody uh, because I thought they probably won't hire me if they know I'm pregnant. Right. And after a while I was like, it's not crafty. It's baby. <laughs> <laughs> and it was all dudes. And I think, you know, we want to get to the point where we don't have to keep talking about it. Let's just. I work. agree. I agree. I, I totally agree. You know, we're women, we should be championing women, you know, yeah. and one of the things that, um, you know, makes it, it has made it easier in the UK is, you know, BAFTA having the 50-50 gender split, you know, so when I have that conversation of, you know, do we have to have another white male um, DP, you know, middle-aged DP, can we have a, a female, please, you know, you don't get nobody fights it so much because you need to have that gender um you know uh, requirement for awards 
can she be middle-aged female dp <laughs> she, can, she can be too absolutely <laughs> yeah. i think it's 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 showing right it's showing by the work that you do showing um the capability and the talent and then you know uh like blair says hopefully it will just be in the water it will just be part of the normal course of business so that we don't have to um underscore it or work extra hard or you know go to go to greater lengths um it's uh you know we've made a lot of strides but i think that it takes much more of a systematic approach so that you see women decision makers in mm -hmm. in every level you want to see them on the masthead at the big eight mm -hmm. accounting firms you want to see them on the masthead at the big entertainment law firms the studios are great and they they are you know promoting more women as executives but you know it's got to be all over you know it's an all out mm -hmm. assault mm -hmm. but, but in a good way in a good way right we're decision makers and we can make those decisions also. Yes. Scary. And even if we have to fight for the right to make those decisions. And also, this is goes to what I'm saying. I want to be able to make a decision to hire uh, a woman who maybe doesn't have as much experience. And I want to have the opportunity for that to not work and not be punished for it. Mm -hmm. right. I would right. like to say, I want to hire this woman. I want to give them a chance. And if it doesn't work out, I don't want to have the next time go. You see, it didn't work out last time. Yeah. Right. You know, that, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Because we've all witnessed lots of those types of mistakes, costly exactly. mistakes that don't ever go on someone's record. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we, we I get yeah. that. that. That's very interesting. Oh, everyone, thank you for your answers today. And thank you for joining us and sharing your stories. It was inspiring and insightful to be with you. And thank you for staying so long. This was a marathon. <laughs> thank you all. Keep thank doing the good work you. you're doing. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. Thank you thank to you. everyone who posted questions for our, uh, our panel today. Uh, we did have quite a few questions. So if we didn't get to your question, please know that you can always head over to the production community forum to keep the conversation going. And we'll definitely be sure to answer some questions over on the forum as well. So coming next in the master series on April 7th, we, at a special time, it will be 9 a.m. Pacific. We have the We Got Pop team who will be joining us to discuss important issues in the UK, including Brexit, COVID, IR35, and how to safely get back to work through digital transformation. Then on April 21st, our production ex or, excuse me, production incentives expert, Joe Kianese, will be joined by a panel of international producers and film commissioners to discuss opportunities abroad and the state of production around the world. So please be sure to mark your calendars and join us then. And if you'd like to revisit today's topic, you can always head over to theproductioncommunity.com. You'll find a recording of today's session along with our full library of master series. Not only can you watch the master series webinars, but you can visit the forums to answer, ask industry or product questions. You can listen to podcasts and you can visit our entire support library. There are a lot of great resources over there and we'd love for you to check that out. And if you happen to be looking for a job, we also have a resume portal where you can post your resume. So join the thousands of members who have already signed up for the production community and head over there today.
Another resource we'd like to let you know about is my.ep.com. And this is where production workers can access their last three years of US EP pay information, compare week over week changes to their pay. And if anyone is filing for an unemployment insurance claim, please know that important information that you need for the claim is only a few clicks away at my.ep.com. It is also going to be your destination to purchase the new movie Magic Budgeting, as well as sign up for our e-learning academy courses, which Alexis kindly mentioned earlier today. We did recently launch an e-learning center, and we have over a dozen classes available, and we are continually adding courses to the academy as we go. These are all valuable resources, not only for learning about Entertainment Partners products, but you can also learn the important skills that can help you take the next step in your career. So join the many members who have already signed up for my.ep.com and utilize those resources today. The last thing we'd like to tell you about is that we recently launched an EP blog, and there you can explore the latest in entertainment and product news, get expert insights and essential issues that are uh, affecting the industry, changes to legislation such as SB 973, which is top of mind right now, and much, much more. We'd love for you to check out our content. We add new content weekly. Uh, we hope to see you over there. A special thank you again to all of our panelists for joining us today and for sharing their expertise and their journeys. And thank you to everyone who took the time to join us today for our discussion. We hope that you all stay safe and healthy, and we look forward to seeing you at the next Master Series. Mm -hmm.